Amen. Amen. I don't know about you, but it's good to serve a God who's so faithful and so gracious. It's good to serve a God who's been so good to us. And I found out that even when I wasn't faithful to him, he was faithful to me. Does anybody know that to be true? Great is thy faithfulness, O God, unto me. And for that, every now and then, I just get a little excited. Amen? Every now and then, I just get a little, uh, just a little charismatic because of his, because of his goodness. Because, I mean, come on. If, if, if we're going to go to a Laker game and get excited about Kobe Bryant and him being able to slam dunk on somebody, I know that we can get excited about a Savior who, who rose from the dead for our sins. Amen? Hello in the room. Amen? Y'all with me? Not so much. Amen. So, okay. So to me, to me, every now and then, that's, that's, it's not only worth getting excited about, but it's worth showing excitement about. Amen. I think the world, as we look at this passage tonight, the world looks to us as the believers to see some sense of hope or some sense of confidence. So we leave literally saying, this is my story. This is my song. And I praise my Savior all day long. Why? Because of this blessed assurance that only comes through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. That wasn't a part of the sermon. Y'all got that one for free. This one, y'all paying for it. Second Corinthians is where you can find me tonight. Chapter 9. Second Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to begin reading at verse 10. We'll conclude at verse 12. Second Corinthians chapter 9. Verses 10 through 12. Before we get started in that, let me just do a little recap of what we talked about last week. As uh, many of you know, uh, we have a new senior pastor here at uh, Lake Avenue Church by the name of uh, Pastor uh, Dr. Greg Waybright. And uh, when he came, he just had a passion and a heart for all of our services. We have about five or, or six services here at Lake Avenue Church over the course of a weekend. And he had a, a, real, a real heart and a real passion for all of us to hear the same voice, to hear the same word. So we've been preaching some of the same passages. And uh, he, he really wanted to start this year off talking about this idea of worship and when we come together. Now, uh, there's a big difference between me and Dr. Waybright. Um, specifically doctor. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm Albert, not doctor. <laughs> but, uh, but, but listen to this. Uh, we, we've been preaching the same passages, and he preached, we preached the same passage last week, and we've been talking about this idea of worship, and the good doctor wrote a definition of worship, and I want us to look at that tonight, look at what the good doctor had to say about worship. This is what we want to frame up as a definition of worship. Worship is the power Response, the proper response, that's why I'm not a doctor, I can't read. All right. <laughs> Worship is the proper response of the whole of our lives. Somebody say the whole. The whole of our lives to our triune God. That means three. I, I got, I did that class in full already. All right. When we worship, we ascribe all honor, praise, and worth to God precisely because He is worthy. So look at this next piece. It says true worship. Watch this. True worship results in God being the center of both our adoration and our action. Both our adoration and our action. Both in our personal lives and in our corporate gatherings. It, it's, it's, it's what we ascribe to God. All the honor and all the glory and all the praise that's due him. Why? Because he alone is worthy. And this flows from the whole of our lives. And it results in both not only adoration. Thank you. Blessing him. Not only with our lips. Not only with our mouths. Not only with our songs. But with our action. With how we live. 
with how we speak to one another, with how we go to and fro from our jobs to school. It's not only by our words. It's, it's, it is adoration. There are moments when we have to pause and just open up our mouths and say, God, we thank you. God, we love you. We bless him with our lips. We bless him with our hands. We sing songs of his greatness. But not only our adoration, not only our voice, but also with our action. That's worship. Now, that's how he defined it. You want to know how, how the nun doctor defined it? Worship is like Rocky. <laughs> For those of you that were here last night, I talked about Rocky. How many, how many of you have seen Rocky? At least one of them. At least one of them. At least one of them. How many, I, I thought about you, Kurt, because uh, the, what's the last one? Is Rocky 10 that just came out? When he kind of comes out of retirement and stuff like that. Rocky 6, I rented it. I hadn't seen it yet. I'm going to watch it tonight after, after, after church tonight. But I think about Rocky, and, and there's a theme song that flows in all of Rocky's songs. And it comes up, and when you hear it, you know what it is. You know what it means. You know what time it is. And the adrenaline gets to pumping. I mean, you start feeling it, and you get to going. I remember being a little boy and watching the Rocky. I'm not sure what number it was, but it was the Rocky when he fought Mr. T. Y'all remember that one? It was that Rocky. Was that number two? Rocky three. Three. Kurt says three. It was Rocky number three. I was probably two. Kurt, how were you? About 26? 26? No. Okay, so, so they were like, ooh, okay, sorry. All right, so, so I remember watching that and literally, no exaggeration, y'all, I'm serious. I remember watching that and being so inspired and so energized and my friends and my little cousins, we watched it. We literally went outside and started running. <laughs> literally. And we were outside and we were running. And we were singing the theme song. And you know what happened? No, this is no embellishment. I know preachers embellish stories. Normally I do. This is not one of those times. This is literally our friends in the neighborhood start coming out and start running with us. Now, this is how you know it's authentic. Because, you know, I, I didn't live and I wasn't in Beverly Hills. I was kind of like I was in the hood, which is short for neighborhood. Right. Y'all remember back, back in the day in the hood, for those of you that maybe visited a friend one time or something, that used, this is when they used to have big radios. Remember the big radios back in the 80s? And you had a big radio, and it was so big, you had to have a strap to carry it, right? One of my boys, because everybody can afford them, but he had had a one, it had the stickers on him, and he had a strap, and he came out with the radio, and he was running, and we was running, and he had the big strap radio, and we were just all running because we were so inspired and so moved by Rocky. And the song encompassed everything that was rocky, both the trial and the triumph, both 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 the challenge and the crises, but also the transformation. Because you knew when Rocky started running and when that music started coming on, you knew transformation was about to happen. You knew that although he had great failure in the movie, you knew that things were about to turn around. And whenever he got to those steps there in Philadelphia, when the kids started coming up and kids started running, he started running up those steps. And when he got to the top, what did he do? He would always lift his hands. That theme song encompassed all that we know about Rocky. And the song doesn't even have maybe, what, two or three words in it. So it's not about the words. The song was a theme of the movie. And to me, worship is like a good theme song. It encompasses all that we are. It flows from the whole of our life. But at the end of the day, our worship and the worship, the theme of our life should always point to God. It should always ascribe to his glory, to his praise and to his honor. Why? Because he alone is worthy. I phrase it up like this. I say, if your life. If your life was a song to God, what would the theme of that song be? I'll say it again. If your life was a song to God, what would the theme 
of the song of your life be? What would your theme song be? What we're saying here tonight is we who are believers of Jesus Christ, those of us who name the name of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the theme of that song should be all glory and honor points to God. Every area of my life, all glory and all honor, everything that I am, all that I am, it all points to God. That's worship. The song, the theme of my life, and it points to God, not only in, in, in warehouse, but in your house, in my house, in the white house, in the black house, for you tree, lover, tree huggers in the greenhouse. You know what I mean? <laughs> Regardless of where you find yourself, my life, my worship points to God. Tonight, we want to talk about this idea of pointing to God, but we want to turn it and talk about different areas in which our life should point to God. And tonight, we want to talk about stewardship, 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 our money, finances, because our worship should flow not only in music, not only in adoration, but in our action and also in our giving. So when it comes to money, our worship should flow. And, our, and our, our worship should point to God. Our money should point to God. It's a picture. It's a picture. Many times we, we as church, we, we do this. We get the same impression. There's this guy. He wants to be baptized, right? So he gets down and he gets in the water and gets ready to get baptized. Before he goes down, before they take him down, he pulls out his wallet and holds it up. So everything goes up under the water except his wallet. Basically what he's saying, God, you can have all of me, but my money stays with me. God, you can have my whole life, but I'm keeping my money out of it. You can have every part of me, but not my money. As we look at 2 Corinthians, Paul is talking to the, uh, the church there at Corinth, and he's talking about their money. And he's talking about how at the end of the day, Paul sums it up and he says, it belongs to God. It belongs to God. Now, Paul was a church planner, as we know. He had traveled and planted many, many churches in a great uh, evangelist uh, caused great transformation in many, many people's lives. But Paul also had a passion, not only just to build churches and not only for people's lives to be transformed, but he also had a passion for the poor. He also had a passion for the poor. This church at Corinth was one of the wealthier churches that he had planted. But now there was a church in Jerusalem who was struggling, who uh, the saints and the believers there were living their lives in poverty. And Paul had committed his life, committed his ministry to go and raise money for those believers who were living in poverty. He committed his life to go and raise money to support those churches who lived in poverty, who didn't have wealth. Those that said, we want to we be a part of this great ministry, but they didn't have any money. So Paul would go around and he would fundraise. He would fundraise. Fundraising started a long time ago. It just didn't start here a couple of weeks ago. Girl Scouts aren't the first one to do it. Paul didn't have cookies, but he had something else, you know. <laughs> fundraising started a long time ago. And here in Corinthians, we see almost a, a, a modern-day fundraiser. He, he, he's talking to this church at Corinth and watch this at first. He talks about the church at Corinth because they were one of the first givers. They were one of the first ones to give to this ministry. And he took the story of Corinth and talked to the church at Macedonia, which was a, which was a lower income church, a church who, who struggled more so financially to the church at Macedonia, hearing about the church at Corinth up there giving. Said, you know what, we're going we're to start giving. And they begin to give mightily and in a very amazing way. Then, a year later, Paul has to go back to Corinth and say, all right, the giving is slacked off. And here, this little church in Macedonia, as you'll see in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, uh, uh, this, this, this little church in Macedonia is now out giving you. 
this church at Corinth, in Corinth, that's not right. Something's wrong with that picture. It's almost as if a little village church somewhere in some third world country, some poverty stricken country, some church out giving Lake Avenue. It, it's, it's that kind of picture. Totally inappropriate, totally out of order. So Paul uses the story of this church who struggled in Macedonia and how they've been giving sacrifice sacrificially to charge up this church at Corinth. Amen. Just stay right there. I'm coming to your neighborhood in a little bit. I'm, I'm going to come get you. Don't worry. Don't get lost in all this. But so 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 Paul encourages Corinth with this church at Macedonia and he sums up and, he, and he's giving this. He's charging them up. He's encouraging them. And as he's finishing up his letter at Corinth, this is where our passage picks up for the night. And this is where we want to land for a few minutes tonight. He's talking to Corinth. He's charged them. He's challenged them. He's encouraged them. Now he just wants to give them some key theological principles about giving about stewardship. Verse 10, chapter two, verse nine. If you got it, say amen. amen. All right, we got it. All right, here we go. It says, for God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, Paul says, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. Our life is worship. How to be good stewards over what God has given us. Let's pray. God, I pray that in the next few moments that you would speak to us concerning our responsibility with what you have given us, God. Our responsibility, how do we respond appropriately to how you've blessed us? God, I pray that your scriptures will bring life tonight, that, um, that it won't be anything about Albert Tate, but God, but that your Holy Spirit will speak clearly through the word of God and that those words would penetrate our hearts, that we all will be changed tonight and made better and that we will leave this place challenged to be better stewards over what you have given us challenged and charged by the word of God. So God speak tonight in Jesus name. Everybody said, amen. amen. Paul begins to charge up this church at Corinth and he, and he's talking about money, but he's not talking about money. It, it's hard in, in, in churches. This is a hard thing for us to talk about because it, it's about money, but it's really not about money. So tonight, as you listen to the words and as we look at the scriptures, I don't want you to be clouded by the money, but I want you to hear the, 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 the I think that the true intent of what Paul is saying, and I pray to God that this comes through, through my words on tonight, that it's not about money as much as it is about obedience. It, 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 it's not about finances as much as it is about responsibility to what God has given and entrusted in our lives and in our hands. Amen? So he opens this up, and, and I've got a few points. This first point is so crucial. If we don't get this one, then the rest of it is a watch. This first one is necessary. We've got to understand this first point. I'm reading from the uh, New Living Translation. The first point I want to make, uh, uh, it, it says, watch this. Verse 10, it says, For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. First thing I want to say is God doesn't eat bread. God does not eat bread. 
He doesn't eat bread. I don't care how you flip it, how you twist it. He is Atkins certified. He does not eat bread. All right? No carbs, baby. No carbs. Paul uses a metaphor here, and he's talking about a farmer. And he's talking about a farmer who gets a seed and plants it, and in turn, from the seed, develops and able to process and have bread. So this farmer gets the seed from God. The farmer doesn't design seed. He can't create seed. God already created it. God blesses the farmer with seed and then blesses the farmer with the ground to put the seed in. Uh, of course, germination happens. The seed is germinated. The seed raises up and produces wheat. And then from there, the farmer is able to process bread. God does all of this, gives him the seed, gives him the process, gives him the sun that it takes to grow the seed, gives him the rain that it takes for it to grow, gives him all of the resources that it needs to have in place. And at the end of this great process, we have bread, but God doesn't eat bread. The, the, the bread isn't for God. The bread is for the farmer. Although the seed came from God, the sun came from God, the rain came from God, and the ground came from God. This whole process came from God, but the bread is there for the fruit and for the benefit of the farmer. So let's back up. What is the process? What is the role of the farmer in this whole process? The, 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 the farmer simply receives the seed from God, puts it in God's ground, allows God's sun and God's rain to increase the seed, and from there uses a process given to him by God in order for them to create bread. Now, how weird would it be for the farmer to step back and take credit and say, I did that? How, how inappropriate would it be for the farmer to sit back and say, oh, yeah, I get all the credit for that. As a matter of fact, not only do I get the credit for the bread, but I want to get more seeds, more, more, more harvest, more bread, and I want to store it all up. So not only do I get to eat the bread, but I want to only keep the bread for me. The farmer, the farmer, if you really look at it, the farmer really doesn't do anything but just steward over what God has provided. The, the, the farmer doesn't have to create the seed. The growth happens in the ground. The farmer doesn't have to, uh, to provide sun. God does that. The farmer doesn't have to provide rain. God does all of that. He does all of that so that we may partake of the bread but at the end of the day, it's not about the bread because God doesn't need bread. He didn't go through all of this so God could get more bread. It's not about the bread. It's about the farmer's responsibility and his obedience to be a good steward over the seed that God has given. Y'all looking a little lost. Let me, let me help you. I see y'all not get it. It's like this. Uh, how many of you wrote, wrote on an airplane lately, recently? Wrote on an airplane? Well, you know, for those of us that have been on the airplanes lately, they have what we call stewardess. And stewardess, uh, I remember we just went to Jackson, Mississippi, had Zoe, had a really sweet stewardess. She really hooked us up because Zoe is under two, and under two you get a free seat. You don't have to pay for her ticket. So, But you can always end up with a person like sitting. So it's three three opportunities to sit down, me, LaRosa, my wife, and then Zoe, and then you get some other third person that's usually not that excited to see you and a baby, right? So, I mean, actually on this last flight, it was this guy that came by, and the flight was packed. I think it was one less. He looked at us, and he was like, Oh, you guys can have it. And then he goes to find some other seat. He was like, I'm not trying to spend four hours with a kid. Okay. 
But we had this nice stewardess, and she gave us this extra seat, and she was just really nice. Her, her, her name was, was Lisa. Throughout this whole time, Lisa served us drinks. Uh, Lisa made sure that we were comfortable. Uh, throughout this whole time, Lisa, if we, if we needed anything, if we needed extra water for Zoe, if we needed apple juice or anything, she made sure that we were comfortable throughout our journey. But interestingly enough, at the end of the flight, she didn't stand back and say, thank you for flying with Lisa. Thank you for supporting Lisa. Thank you for flying with Lisa. I hope you had a great time. Come back and see Lisa. No, because at the end of the day, Lisa knows she don't own no plane. (laughs) This ain't Lisa's plane. This is Southwest plane. So when we sat down, although she's done all the work, although the captain has flown and she's served us and all of this, she steps back and she says, thank you for flying Southwest. Because at the end of the day, it's Southwest plane. And what I've done, I've just been a good steward over what's been entrusted to me by Southwest. I've just been responsible to what Southwest has provided, and I've just been a good steward. Friends, hear me tonight. God doesn't spend money. He doesn't need money. Just like he doesn't need bread. The money is for us. But it's important for us to realize that the money is not ours. It belongs to God. Just like Lisa ain't got no plane, you ain't got no money without God. Excuse my common vernacular, but it's real important that we understand tonight that every resource that God has blessed us with in our life, it all belongs to God. God is the source for every financial blessing you've ever received, every financial blessing you have, every, everything that you possess. God is the source of all of that. I know you got a great job, but all state ain't the source of your money. God is. I know Lake Avenue, they sign my checks, but at the end of the day, Lake Avenue is not the source. God is the source. God provides the seed So that we may have bread. God provides the labor, the opportunity for us to work these jobs that we may have money. God isn't interested in the money. God doesn't spend money. God doesn't eat bread. He's interested in our obedience to responding to what he has given us. He wants to know, out of what I've given you, will you be a good steward? Will you be responsible with what, I've, I, with what I've entrusted in your hands? Or will you be like Lisa and say, thank you for flying, Lisa? Will you recognize and have the humility to understand that you are flying southwest? Your life is not your own. You are flying the airlines of Jesus Christ. And although you have been entrusted to be a steward over this journey called life, at the end of the day, he is the key controller, the CEO, the prime owner of your life. He is the one responsible for your going, your coming, for your rising and your falling. He is the one responsible. So therefore, he is the source. He gets the credit. He gets the glory. What Paul is telling the church at Corinth is at the end of the day, we are called to be farmers. We are called to take the seed that God has given us, but to be good stewards over the seed that he's given us. Being good stewards, being responsible over what he's entrusted and allowed to be in our hands is not your seed. It's not yours. It's not your money. And if we don't understand that, we're going to have a hard time digesting anything else Paul has to say, anything else God will say to us through Paul, because we're thinking that this is our stuff. We're thinking that this stuff belongs to us. 
We're thinking that we own it. I earned it. I put in those hours. I did all of that. I did this. And it's mine. No, friend. It belongs to God. He gave us the seed. I know my wife will be excited about me saying this, so don't say anything. But she's pregnant. Um, yeah, she's pregnant. Right? She's, uh, she's pregnant, and, you know, as I'm a, I'm a proud dad, and I want to be able to look at her, you know, and say, I did that. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, people are like, oh, you're pregnant. I mean, because she gets, I mean, she gets the belly. She gets all the, all the cute stuff. She gets all the attention. They don't give no showers for daddies. Matt, we don't get no showers, dog. Dana getting all that stuff. We don't get nothing. You know what I mean? She gets all these parties, all this cake. She gets to gain weight. She gets to eat whatever she wants. She gets to send us to the grocery store in the middle of the night for pickles and ice cream, and we can't say nothing. You know what I mean? She gets to get all of that, but we don't get nothing. So every now and then, I just look at it, I'll be like, I did that. That's what I did. I I did that right there. I get the credit for that one, right? But at the end of the day, I mean, I did something. I didn't do, I didn't do much though. You know what I mean? I don't think I can win with that. Hold on, that don't sound right. I mean, you know, I did it, but I didn't do it. You know what I mean? Bad example. It, it's 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 like I, I I played my responsible role, right? But at the end of the day. That seed had to connect with the egg, and I'm sorry, when it comes to the development of a child, there's something very mystical and very powerful about that that's beyond my little contribution. Amen? Although I wouldn't say, I'd use the term little contribution loosely, you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Because it is work, you know what I mean, Matt? You know, we do, you know, it's not easy. I don't just think we can just get out of this thing easy. Anyway, all right, I'm digging a hole. All right. Woo, it's hot tonight. All right, so... So check it out. But, but I mean, what happens in her womb is something that's so beyond anything that I could do, any contribution that I could make. What happens inside of her stomach is so beyond me. I don't even know how to do algebra, let alone develop a seed in her belly. You know what I mean? That's so beyond me. So I did it, but I didn't do it. I can say I did that, but really God did that. And the essence of what I'm talking about tonight is every seed that you've ever been blessed with, everything that you have financially, everything that you have in your life, your clothes, your house, your home, everything you have, you have the responsibility as a believer of Jesus Christ to look at it and say, God did that. That's not what I did. I make the payments on the car, but God did that. As beautiful as my little Zoe is, I, I, I got some ugly features. You know what I mean? My stuff, she could have came out looking a little rough. You know, I mean, if y'all had a baby, I mean, y'all, y'all do wonder. You know, let's just be honest. Y'all wonder if the kid is going to come out. Because every time, I mean, you can throw some nose and lips and eyes and it does not come together right. Y'all seen them. You know what I mean? Let's just be honest, you know? So I was looking at Zoe and I was like, oh, Lord, I don't want to do that. <laughs> you know, I need you. But when I look at my little girl. And see the beauty that is in her eyes. And, and the love that I have for her. I look at her and I see her smile. And I see her putting words together. And I see her, her personality just coming alive. And I see all that. And I have to say, God did that. What Paul is saying is we've got to look at everything in our life. Every area of our life. Our checks, our resources, everything. All of that stuff. We've got to look at it and say, God did that. I was a good steward. I played my role. But God did that. 
Does that make sense? Somebody say, God doesn't need bread. God doesn't need bread. He, he, it's not about money. It's not about bread. He doesn't need the money. He just wants the glory. Did y'all catch that? He don't want, he, he don't want the bread. He wants the glory. Verse 10 continues. It says, for God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity. Watch this. In you. God doesn't eat bread, but he blesses me to change me. Verse 10b says, to produce a great harvest of generosity in you. In some of your Bibles, it may talk about, it, it, it causes a harvest of righteousness. This gift that he's giving you, it, 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 there's, there's a motive behind this. He's giving you and he's imparting you and entrusting you with this blessing so that it may change you. So that it may change you. Not externally, but internally. Not blessing you financially just so you can get a big house and a big car and all that stuff. It's not about that. Some of us will have big homes. Some of us will have small homes. I, I, I frown very strongly on many of these preachers who stand in a pulpit and preach what they call this prosperity gospel. Where they say everybody's supposed to have a big house. Everybody's supposed to have a big car. Everybody's supposed to be rich. Everybody's supposed to be a millionaire. Beware of false prophets. It's not in the scriptures. Beware of people who promise all of this, all of, all of this great haughty stuff. Beware of people who paint the picture of God as some cash machine. If you pray a little harder, he'll give you some money. If you give, if you give money, then he'll bless you with a new Bentley or he'll bless you with a car. Beware of the foolishness that stands in some of our pulpits today. Paul isn't talking about you getting a big house or a big car. He's talking about something greater and much more eternal than a house or a car. He's talking about a change that happens on the inside of your heart. He's talking about transformation. God is saying he's blessing you to create a spirit of generosity in you. I'm blessing you to turn you against our culture because our culture says it's all about me getting stuff. Our culture says it's all about me bling bling and it's all about the American dream, me getting as much money as I can so I can get to have the biggest house, so I can have the picket fence, so I can have the big car, so I can have the 2.5 children and a little dog named Spot. It's all about me getting, getting, getting. And God is saying, I'm blessing you so you can turn that culture and say my life is about me giving. My life is not about me working hard so I can get, get, get. Because let me tell you, you can spend your life working hard and get, get, get and still never be happy. Wealth will never satisfy you. You don't believe me? Ask Solomon. Solomon had everything a man can imagine. He was a, he was a modern day Hugh Hefner. Come on, you got 900 women and concubines. You, that's, that's Hugh all day long. Right? All the money. But as you look at Ecclesiastes, which, which could be summed up as, as, as Solomon's memoirs, if he was writing over his life, you will hear these words, vanity, vanity, it's all vanity. In other words, Solomon is saying, I had everything, but at the end of the day, it was vanity. It did not satisfy me. Don't get caught up in this suction of culture that says it's all about you getting, 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 getting. Paul is telling the church at Corinth, he's giving to you that he may create in you this spirit of generosity so that by him blessing you, you have a hunger, an appetite, a thirst to bless others. It changes how we're wired. 
It changes us so that way every time we get something, we're not looking to try to how we can hold it, but we're looking for opportunities to give and create that thirst in other people. Uh, I can remember uh, I have I have two older sisters and my mom and my dad, and I'm the youngest. I'm, I'm the baby boy, and I can remember getting my first job. And as the youngest, you know, you always used to get all the gifts. Everybody would buy you gifts, and then you would buy you you wouldn't buy anybody anything. But when they had gifts, you just add your name to everything everybody else bought, right? Anybody else ever do that? They come in, oh, you bought mama that here. Put my name on that, you know. And I remember having my first job and having my first check when I could actually afford to go Christmas shopping for my family. And I remember uh, being in the mall all day and shopping and being excited about buying my mom these little diamond earrings. They were real diamonds. They were really small, but they were still real diamonds. And I remember buying this dress for my sister. And I remember buying all this cool stuff. And I remember sitting there, the baby boy, the youngest, the one that was used to getting all the gifts. I remember sitting there in our living room, getting my gifts and be like, yeah, yeah, that's nice. But I want you all to see what I gave you. And I remember watching their face when they opened up what, what little Junior bought. That was mine because I'm Albert and I'm a junior. So they would call me Junior. And I remember watching their face, watching what Junior bought them. And when they were, when they were open up, they, they were like, whoa. You bought this? Junior, somebody, ain't nobody else's name on this. You know what I mean? And they were just going off. And then the next one would be like, wait, let me open. Let me see what I got, you know? So then they'll open theirs. And it's like, whoa. And I remember the feeling. What happened to me in that room changed my life. That night, I fell in love with giving. Because the joy that I received from giving far, far surpassed any joy that I ever got by receiving. Did y'all hear what I just said? All the gifts. I'm the youngest. I'm the spoiled baby boy. Exaggeration. That's one of those embellishments. Bring that in perspective. All right? I'm used to getting and used to loving getting and just getting and getting. But that night, I learned something that was far greater. And that's giving. Paul is saying, I want you to learn something that's far greater. That's giving. And by God giving to you, he's trying to create something inside of you. It's not outside. It's not external. It's not about giving you so you can get stuff. But he's trying to create something inside of you that could change our pattern, change our way of thinking, change us, take us counterculturally to where it's not about what we can get, but about what we can give. About what we could give. He blesses me to change me. Next, 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 next. Verse 11, he says, yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. Yes, you will be enriched in every way. Watch this. So you can always be generous. Point number three, uh, his blessing is not about me. It's not about me. He says, he says, yes, I'm going to bless you and you will be enriched in every way. You, you won't, as, as you give to God, you will never suffer for, for giving to the cause of Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying? As, as you give for him, the suffering won't be compared to the glory that he'll reveal in you. There's something powerful and anointed, divinely enabled about you giving. God always blesses those who give. But the goal isn't to bless you so you can be just some fat, rich person that's just blessed. So it's not saying, oh, I'm going to write a check to you for $100 so God can give me $1,000. Yeah. No, he ain't a slot machine. That's not the motive behind this. Paul is saying, yes, there is a blessing for being a blessing. You will be blessed by being a blessing. But the purpose of that is not 
for you just to sit and be received and for you to just kind of do math and up God every now and then. No. The blessing is here. Verse 11. So you can always be generous. So you can always. Somebody say always. This blessing that God gives you, he wants to put you in a place so you can always be generous. This isn't a one-time deal. This isn't, a, this isn't a get guilty and get manipulated in church and give this big offering and, and go home. No, this isn't about pressure. This isn't about manipulation. This is about a lifestyle. This is about a life of worship that includes giving. It's not about, it's not about me giving one time. It's not about this big one-time experience. This is about me being set up so that way I can always live this way. I can always live my life where I have room to give and to be a blessing. I will be blessed so that I can always be generous. You know, you know something that, you know something that irritates me? I mean, it frustrates me and it, and it really, it really irks me. And it's, it's short term mission trips, short term mission trips. I know everybody's jaw just dropped. Yeah, yeah. Short term mission trips, because what I've seen is that many of us today, many times when people go on short term mission trips, they've turned it into Christian tourism. Yeah, 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 yeah. We've turned it into Christian tourism. We raise our money. We go over there and we just want to do a lot of sightseeing. We want to see some of the most impoverished stuff and take pictures and put them on our MySpace and send it back and come all back and be all kind of deep and stuff. We, 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 we want to go and take tours and stuff and just see stuff and come back, but not experiencing any true change. It's not, it's, it's, it's not about some quick short term. Let me see some devastation. And then I come back and then I got some conversation pieces for dinner. No, no. Short term mission trip should be able to turn into some long-term life transformation. Did y'all hear that? Short-term missions trip should be, the, the result of that should be long-term life transformation. God wants to do something in you. I'm talking about when I went to New Orleans, something happened in me that said, I can't leave this place the way it is. I, I can't stand by and watch this go down and me do absolutely nothing. This is, this is off, off tilt. I, I, I'll try not to be so long tonight. But I remember being just landing in California, watching people stand on their roof and watch people flooded and watch people for days and days. And me sitting watching TV, getting angry because nobody was doing anything. People standing, people dying, people's bodies getting cold there on the city streets. And we sit here watching it on TV and nobody's coming in to save the day. It did something to me that said, Albert, I refuse. I refuse to sit in California at this big church and do absolutely nothing for my brothers and sisters who are dying on the city streets of New Orleans, Louisiana. It did something to me on the inside of me. It said, I cannot sit idly by and watch such devastation happen. Before I allow that, I'll put my life on the line. I'll put my job on the line. I'll pack up and move to New Orleans and rebuild it brick by brick before I sit by and do absolutely nothing. God is saying, the resources that I've blessed you with, they should change you so much so to where you refuse to watch poverty happen. 
You refuse to sit by and watch injustice happen. Well, you are willing to take everything I have and put it on the line to stop the injustice from continuing. Paul is saying, I refuse, Corinth, for you to sit here and be wealthy and for Jerusalem to go hungry. It's not about going to take pictures. And I'm not trying to hype myself up as some hero. Trust me, I've done absolutely nothing compared to all the work that needs to be done in New Orleans. I've, I've done nothing. So I'm not trying to hype myself up in any kind of way. But I'm talking about something that grabs you so much so to where you can't let it go. I'm talking about a cause. I'm talking about a purpose. I'm talking about a mission. God is saying, I've blessed you. I've blessed you. We drove here in cars tonight. Some of us walk, but you got your legs to walk. I have blessed you. We are rich. Yeah, yeah, you say, well, Albert, you ain't seen my bank account. Did you have clean water today? We are rich. You got clothes on your back. They may not be the best clothes, but you got clothes, friends. We are rich because there are millions, billions of people who don't have clean water, friends. We are rich. And God is saying, I've allowed you and I've entrusted this and placed it in your hands so that you will be generous. It's not yours, but I called you to be a good steward. Are y'all in here with me tonight, warehouse? Amen. Does this make sense tonight? So he said, he said, this blessing that I've given you, it's not for you, but I've set you up so you can live a life where you can always be generous. Finally, finally. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. Friends, our obedience points to God. Our obedience points to God. Paul is saying, look, two things are going to happen. You're going to be generous when you're good stewards. Two things are going to happen. The people who need this in Jerusalem, their needs are going to be met. There are people who are hungry, who are starving, and they're going to be able to receive food because of your obedience. Not only that, the people that receive food are going to look up and say, I'm eating right now. There must be a God. (laughs) They're going to look up and say, I'm drinking water right now. There must be a God. Folk in New Orleans, we, we were able to go down in December and sit around through, through, through all, all the work that our church has done. And many of us have, have given Dana, gave a whole lot to that whole experience for us to go and see people sitting around in Christmas trees who, who, were, who, were, who, who were living, whose homes had nine feet of water in them. For them to sit this Christmas and have a home and for their home to feel like a home. I'm sure they sat around and they didn't say, oh, thank God for Albert Tate. They didn't say, thank God for Lake Avenue. They had to look around because this job was way bigger than some church. They looked around and said there must be a God may our obedience point people to God when you're a good steward it points to God what's a good worship what's a good theme song not only when it causes you to be mobile Rocky running get the picture not only when Rocky's running but when other people see Rocky running and say I want to run too when we're sitting down on the street, started with two or three of us in the hood that night for other people to look at us running and say, man, 
Mama, I'll be back. I want to run too. May our life, our obedience, may we run so that other people could see our life and say, I want to run too. Our money, even our money, even our money should point to God. If we were to pull out your checkbooks tonight, if we would pull out your bank statements tonight, if we would pull all of that out tonight, would it reflect your worship to God? We would look at your last, your last purchases, your biggest transactions of 2007. Could we see your money pointing to God? It belongs to him. He's called us to be a good steward. Have you been a good steward? Are you responsible with what God has given you? Does your money reflect the awesomeness and the greatness of God. Because according to the definitions of worship that we see in scripture, even our money should worship God. Father, we thank you. God, I stand tonight convicted by your word, God. God, I pray that you would help even me be a better steward over what you've given me. God, I pray tonight that this idea of worship will go way beyond just music, way beyond Sunday night experience. But God, that our worship would flow from the whole of our lives. Even our money. God, we pray that that spirit of generosity that we see in scripture, we see how you, how you bless the cheerful giver. May we be cheerful givers tonight. May we be generous tonight. Recognizing that you don't eat bread and you don't spend money. The money, is, it's not about the money. But it's about our ob obedience and our response to your generosity to us. May we be changed by your generosity. In Jesus' name. Amen.